0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. My guest for this second of three podcasts is Dr. Matt Longjohn, a physician with a background in public health, who's serving now as the senior director of chronic disease prevention programs at the YMCA of the USA. But more pertinent to the the topic for this particular podcast is that Matt was the founding executive director of a group known as CLOCK, the Consortium to Lower Obesity in Chicago Children. Um, Matt was there at the beginning of the development of what has become a very impressive organization, at least in my mind, probably the best organized and um, organization of its type in the country and the one with the greatest impact. So I'd like to begin by congratulating you for having been there on the ground floor as this got established. But then I'd also like to ask you some questions about what this sort of consortium building means. So welcome. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you, Kelly. Can you explain what this consortium is? CLOCK is a multi-sector,
0: multi-level collaboration of literally hundreds of organizations, now um, you know thousands of individuals, um, but it began back in 2002 with a a planning grant from a local philanthropy that uh, really leveraged the long-term expertise and leadership of Dr. Catherine Koffer-Christoffel, who uh, had been working on the margins, or I guess at the intersection between public health and medicine for uh, a long career in Chicago, and um, had recently uh, found me uh, to be a a partner in working on um, some issues around public health and medicine. And um, we turned out to be a, a great team in getting this thing started, um, but it is a, uh, a basically a network of individuals and organizations that have all recognized childhood obesity as a, a preeminent public health threat. Um, and this was again 10 years ago. Clocks actually celebrating its 10 year anniversary this year, um, and uh, it's it's just grown to be one of the largest organizations of its kind. It's been mentioned in. You know, almost every IOM or CDC or RWJF report since the time that people really started funding things
1: around healthy communities. Oh, it was way ahead of its time, and I think it served as a, a nice model for my, what might happen elsewhere. So, as you began to get this established, um, was there a purpose in mind? That that is, did you have specific ambitions for changing things in schools or? getting legislation passed, or what was it that you were hoping to accomplish by bringing together these different groups? Um, well, Kathy um, always dreams audacious
0: dreams, and it was really um, the greatest challenge was just um, trying to be, uh, and I think this is something Healthy Communities Initiatives f- face today, is trying to be all things to all people was not you know, going to be a long-term sustainable strategy, but it was certainly a great convening strategy. Um, and in, in the, really the first year of CLOCK's work, um, you know, we were sorting that all out together. Uh, again, with a planning grant by the Otho S.A. Sprague Memorial Institute, which by the way, um, the current first lady was a board member of. Um, you know, we were able to bring the right people together and get focused. Um, you know, policy advocacy, for example, we knew we always wanted to do, um, but it seemed like it wasn't gonna happen in the first year was the initial thought. Um, we felt that a a primary and leading priority for the first year was to establish some baseline data for the city of Chicago. Um, So a data surveillance and a program evaluation and research work group was set up to figure out, you know, what is the rate of childhood obesity in Chicago children? If you're going to be the consortium to lower obesity in Chicago children, uh, you know, what is the beginning benchmark? And uh, in the first year, we were able to identify that. And kids were entering kindergarten at 23% of kids entering kindergarten in Chicago were obese at that point, overweight or obese. Actually, the overweight and obese number was closer to 40%. The obese number was 23% at kindergarten entry. And this gave us a starting point for where a lot of other policy and community organizing strategies really launched off from there.
1: And you said there are hundreds of organizations that are now part of the consortium. So we obviously couldn't talk about them all. But are there kind of prototypes of organizations that might belong to this consortium?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, And the current uh, executive director, Adam Becker, um, at at Clock, could kind of tell you how we've gotten to the current formulation. Um, But basically, um, the the network is fluid enough that uh, as different priorities are uh, identified and addressed, um, there's kind of shifting sands of how organizations look at it, at themselves and each other. At the beginning, there was a, a clear demarcation between uh, nonprofits and for profits at the community level. Uh, so retail and commercial interests were on one side of a fence, and nonprofit organizations were on another. And you know, a year or two later, it was recognized that these were really organizations serving the same community. So you know, lumped them together as community-based organizations and Uh, Then there was an iteration where the arts and culture organizations wanted to kind of spin out of that and work on museum campuses and um, focus on cultural institutions as uh, a new frontier. And so they kind of peeled out of the CBO network for a while. Um, But uh, really, I think a key to clock success is allowing for that kind of flexibility. Uh, There are seven, uh, or there were seven, I think there may only be six right now, work groups that are... Um, funded each year with essentially seed money, and given the opportunity to get partners around the table to spend money together uh, to make impact on the priorities that they establish for themselves, um, there are still archetype organizations like you know there are 13 government agencies that all work together under um, what is now the City of Chicago's interdepartmental uh, childhood obesity task force, but was originally the Clock uh, Government Programs and Policy Work Group. Um, and that was originally just four departments. It started with health and schools, and um, you know, it's now got transportation and aging and planning. And uh, it's, it's really interesting how it grows and moves around over time.
1: You said um, that, well, first let me ask this. How important is it, do you think, for a community to organize in this way in order to accomplish things regarding obesity I mean, couldn't it just come from the top down and the government officials could decide to do something why do you need this grassroots organizing
0: yeah it actually has to be both um, you know the, the key to clock success another key to clock success is that it is both people who are operators as top-down operators and hundreds of organizations that are you know bottom-up organizations working together for consensus um, you know in the in the middle of that where the two ends meet is where clock does its best work. Um, community organizations that are, for example, fighting gentrification or um, you know community development fights that have in their in their first assessment nothing to do with health, um, find at some point um, it's been happening over and over that you know the latest trail idea or. Um, you know, a, a mural, a series of murals depicting health in the Puerto Rican community, for example, in West Humboldt Park, and and developing a map to those murals and getting people to walk to them or bike to them, you know, was really a, a great experience for community members as they identified their community with these health issues and ended up rallying people around the issues that were important not just to that particular census tract or neighborhood. In Chicago, they're called community areas, the epidemiologic units. There's 77 of them. and um, But they would translate that experience through clock into government action and policy development, et cetera. And by having the right people around the table, you could see that cycle speed up.
1: So you're, you're uh, creating a picture where these communities get mobilized around a certain topic, and then the legislators get interested from that community interest
0: yeah I think that's how it followed for us once we had the data there was an interesting um experience in the first year where we put out these data that demonstrated Chicago kindergartners were two and a half times the risk is what was being um, basically identified by n Haynes at that time and uh, the national survey uh, on health and nutrition and um when they uh, when we published these data it got you know Top of the fold, three inch headlines, Surgeon general made comments, The mayor made comments. City council called the school um, CEO down to the city council to talk about what the school was going to be doing. Um, you know that's now secretary duncan um, and uh, you know within weeks, there was a ban on um, uh, you know, sugary drinks in vending machines um, you know and in fact. Six weeks later, when we added up all the different things that had happened, beyond the me- the millions of media impressions that we made, there were at that time 42 different pieces of legislation that had been introduced into the Illinois state legislature within six weeks of the release of the data. And here's the point about community organizing. 42 is too many. Um, you cannot get in any legislature, any political body, that many pieces of policy pushed. So we had to create... Uh, a network where 80 different organizations identified the six that they wanted to get around and be behind. And um, within 18 months, we had all of those policy priorities passed and in law or in some form of regulation in the state of Illinois.
1: And one advantage, too, I've often heard stated about uh, communities going to work on these issues rather than just having top-down approaches, or in conjunction with top-down approaches, is that you get a lot of ingenuity going on in these communities, whereas if you start something from the top-down, somebody or some group has to decide what's the best way for things to happen in each community. But these communities are all doing things on their own. You get lots of natural experiments of things that might work in one place but not another. Did you see a lot of that going on?
0: Absolutely. Um in the second year of Clock's existence there was a model created called Co-op, and that was Community Organizing for Obesity Prevention. And it was a neighborhood-based strategy. So there was Co-op Humboldt Park, and later there was Co-op Rogers Park and Co-op Englewood and et cetera. But basically Clock's uh, method and model at the city level was replicated at the community level. Um and this was really important in communities like Humboldt Park, where you know it's it 's a really interesting uh, mix of of communities you know there 's a lot of gentrification that 's been going on for a while, but you know you basically have um, a community that 's one third Puerto Rican, one third mexican American one third african American and at the time, uh, the Caucasian community was just a, a very small minority, but gentrification was a real worry, and you could just kind of see the demographics changing year to year from east to west in that particular community. And so um, you know, the solutions that were um, being developed in that community, uh, you know, they involved a lot of you know, door-to-door knocking by community organizers who were glad to put nutrition and physical activity messages in La Voz, which was a community newspaper really dedicated to keeping the Puerto Rican community together. Um, the overweight moms in that particular uh, part of Humboldt Park banded together and said the thing they were most concerned about was stigmatization and that they felt that they couldn't walk to the park or be physically active without getting a lot of catcalls and that that was in their way. So um, the solution in that particular part of the city was to create a program called Muevete, um, where uh, one particular overweight mom um, basically took over a program and got people exercising and reclaimed the park. Um, That would never have been a city policy. It was all about community organizing and community action.
1: You know, if we think about the the power of an organization like Clock and how it might be replicated in other places. It's interesting to think about how, how one could go about doing that. So in, in Chicago, there just happened to be this the stars lined up right. You had Kathy Christoffel who's very dynamic you know, insightful, progressive person connecting with you and a foundation that was willing to see that they get started. And then it took off from there. Do you think there's any way to make these sort of things or create the opportunities for these things to occur in other communities rather than just kind of waiting for those forces to line up in each of the places
0: yeah um you know back in two thousand and two it really was at the forefront of that kind of thinking, and um you know proposals to big foundations you know would get kind of uh scrunched up faces like, what? <laughs> um, but, you know, eventually, um, you know, there was kind of enough noise made in Chicago and in other places too, um, you know, that, uh, this kind of, uh, policy environmental systems change work, um, became really a, a central focus point for a lot of grant making that's been going on over the last 10 years. And, um, you know, even the federal government has gotten involved in this. Um, models for community organizing around health have been really clearly established by the CDC under things like community transformation grants and communities putting prevention to work. And those really all are um, great opportunities for for communities that haven't had that kind of right mix of philanthropy and business and medical leadership um, that, that had been meeting previously to get up and running. The threat now, though, is that. All that funding is really in jeopardy. Um, It's all tied up in one particular line of funding at the CDC, which is a a part of the Prevention and Public Health Trust Fund, which is uh, really in jeopardy right now.
1: Well, let's hope that that problem solves itself and we end up with more money for prevention, and we can see more examples of this. You know, I'm I'm so grateful for the work you've done on this this area and how you help formulate and stimulate such an interesting movement. Um, For the past several years, I've had the good fortune of being on a scientific advisory board for the CLOT group where I serve with you. And I couldn't be more impressed by the devotion of the the people who are running that organization now, led by Adam Becker, and what that organization has been able to accomplish in the city. And it's no accident that a lot of very progressive things going on with obesity and diet-related diseases have occurred in Chicago. So congratulations for what you've accomplished.
0: It was a true team effort.
1: So um, um, our guest today was Dr. Matt Longjohn, Senior Director of Chronic Disease Prevention Programs at the YMCA of the USA and the founding Executive Member uh, Director previous to that of the Consortium to Lower Obesity in Chicago Children. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org, and you'll find a variety of resources there and food and food policy issues, including a list of other podcasts that we recorded with guests who have come to the Rudd Center. Thank you.